0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: What's up, Hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgan's, founder of Marknology, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, agency life, entrepreneurship today's title is always be closing we're going to talk about sales Uh, we're going to talk about agency I've got Joey Gilkey here from sales driven agency sex panther I think is one word that or one phrase that's been used to describe him Uh, we're going to have some fun just chatting it out me and Joey have talked before I've been on his show it was it was a lot of fun Um, before we get into it let's give a shout out to today's sponsor Uh, This episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Gusto. Gusto has modern solutions for modern HR problems. Whether it's talent management, payroll, or onboarding tools, Gusto's HR platform has it all for you. Be smarter than your competitors. Try a three-month free subscription now. Just sign up at gusto.com backslash Startup Hustle to get started. That's gusto.com backslash Startup Hustle. Joey, welcome welcome to the show.
0: Sex Panther to you, brother.
1: Hey. Uh out of knoxville tennessee are you in knoxville today
0: uh i am yep we cool. are in the uh, drippy cold east tennessee january
1: I, I love it i think i'm i might gonna get, get away for a weekend and i'm looking at tennessee or arkansas just to drive come the jeep through, and man. get somewhere in the middle of nowhere come on through awesome well it's it's a pleasure talking to you again um full of full of euphemisms i think that's that's the right word if i can do that uh but i think it's going to be some fun today Um. Sales is part of um, what I do. It's a big part of what I do. My agency wouldn't be here if I wasn't selling. At the same time, it's something that I think I'm in a beneficial spot of still doing sales at Marknology in in some capacity, being able to um, limit a little bit of how much I sell so that the team doesn't collapse and we don't overscale and things like that. I'm, I'm super excited about chatting with you about that because that's something very relevant to me even now. In a world where everyone needs what we do. Uh, But before we jump into just like, you know, the sermon, so to speak. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Joey. Like, how did you get into this space? How like, let's talk about how you became an entrepreneur. I I think the origin story is honestly as important as anything else, because it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, Did you always know you're going to be an agency owner or like, where's Joey's, you know, story start?
0: Yeah, no, the answer is No. I didn't even think I was going to be an entrepreneur, to be honest. um, So yeah, I run Sales Driven now, but that's not always been the case. Uh, For me, I actually started in full-time ministry, believe it or not.
1: I knew that. So I was setting you up for this one because I... I was
0: smacking people in the head with a Bible and telling them to repent. I'm kidding. I didn't do that. But uh, I was on a college campus. So um, yeah, my wife and I got married. I got married super, super young. Um, like 21 and then ended up going into full-time ministry for one full year. Okay. Very committed. Um, at the university of Tennessee, I was on campus there and, um, yeah, it was, that's where I started. I thought I had a really unhealthy view of money to be honest. And so for me, like I was going to live this calling of being in full-time ministry. What was interesting is, uh, mission calling the thought of, of being a, a campus missionary, if you will. Um, felt like a higher calling to me than business. And what's funny was, I, I felt like I had a tug on my heart for years of like, no, I think that there might be something for you in the business world. So um, I didn't have a whole lot of choice. It just kind of fell in my lap, a lot of opportunity um, that I couldn't say no to. So I got a really good opportunity to work in the corporate world, which uh, was not fun, but it was really good for me. So I ended up going and working for a Fortune 100 company. Um, in the IT staffing world, specifically. Okay. And uh, I got I handed a lot of responsibility really fast. And um, I kind of climbed the the ranks, if you will. So the opportunity out out the gate was really good. And then I got to climb the ranks, ended up uh, building a sales team of 115 people. Um, hated corporate world, so I decided to leave. And I got poached, actually, um, by a a consulting firm, a local in Knoxville consulting firm can we pause right there can we pause right there
1: okay so just as someone that's fourth generation preacher's kid okay missionary to af like was a missionary kid Mm -hmm. to africa um my entire community everyone i know my entire bloodline is you know some kind of pastor or preacher evangelist or something in the ministry um servitude uh the mission the cause yep uh very like can be all consuming, right? And when you're putting it through the lens of like I just want to self-sacrifice and serve others and it's hard to see that in in a bad light. Um, you know, what can sure. be so wrong about wanting to love on people? Um, right. but I I would love just like cuz I'm, I'm I'm on the show, I'm about, I'm about people getting to know me, getting to know who's on here and and love I it. think there's a lot of people that go through these transitions where their relationship with money how can I make money for other people? Right. Like as an agency Mm -hmm. owner, that's meant to grow businesses. um, If I can't do the same thing for myself. Right. And uh, whether you're religious or not, I think we have a lot of people have upbringings where maybe their family didn't have a good relationship with money or is taboo. You didn't talk about it. Like money is the root of all evil. You know, I remember Mm -hmm. a time when I was first starting my business. My family wasn't part of it yet. I work with my sisters now, but they weren't part of it. I went to a family thing, which I didn't go to often because I just felt negative and judged when I went I was divorced at 25 wanted to be around the family Um, I went I was kind of telling them about a couple clients I landed early and like no one in the family really has money Um, and I was just I had a little bit of positivity to share and I remember like bringing that you know at this little like family thing and I was like why Lance and it was like three of them an aunt and a couple uncles were like you know all of them had something to say about, well, money, you know, you shouldn't be driven by money and, you know, money isn't this. And money is I'm like, we're all poor and broke. And like, why aren't any of you guys like a little excited for me? This is not money. This is like work, you know, I'm getting a yep. couple of, so that's, I'm sharing a little bit of mine, maybe just to relate a little bit about a real life situation where a family or whoever is kind of contributing to that negative mindset. You talked about being married at campus and you skipped over a little bit, but then you went into the corporate opportunity. Um, how big of that, how big of a decision was that to leave like campus ministry and go into that?
0: It's huge. I think a lot of my identity was wrapped up in that, you know, my identity was wrapped up in being a leader in the ministry and, uh, and in the mission. And so for me, you know, leaving something where I found a lot of my, my self-worth and identity, which is ironic, you know? And so It's all about like self, you know, like serving others and laying down yourself. But in all actuality, my identity was wrapped up in it, and so that's why it was really interesting. Because again, I thought money was the, the root of evil, if you will. You know, like I only saw rich people who were screwing people over at the time, and for me, it was just a really unhealthy view. And um, that's but that's all I saw, right? But what's what's ironic was I felt like I had just as much in my own heart that I had to deal with, and I was dead ass broke, you know, like. And so I think for me, that was kind of a realization of like, dude, you got to get, you got something going on in your own heart. It has nothing to do with, and that was kind of the, out of the heart kind of flows out of the mouth. Right. And so I think for me, I think money is a magnifier of what's already in you. So if you're good and you're a good dude and you care for people, money's going to amplify that. And if you're not a good dude, money's going to do the same. But I think poverty does the exact same thing. It reveals other aspects of you. And so it was definitely an interesting journey for me you know, I think there, I I wrestled with some conviction there for a little bit, um, on whether it was the right decision or not, you know, but I think that thankfully I made the decision I did and, uh, I'm at where I'm at now where I feel like I'm impacting a lot more people in, in the business world than I probably would have been in the ministry.
1: Yeah. And that was something that from my family to a church, I went to million years later. Um, you know, there was a, a minister there that, uh, just having like a men's breakfast. And he said, you know, he just randomly was like, Andrew, uh, you know, your ministry could be business and helping grow people's (laughs) businesses. And, um, you know, I had just never had anyone in the way I grew up say that anything ministry wise could be, could touch money or business. It was like these other different roles, musician or evangelist or speaker, whatever the case might be. Right. And it was, it was life changing for me to have somebody like of, uh, you know of that status uh you know say something like that over me it was just kind of like this light bulb and I'm not very religious I'm not religious at all now I'm spiritual and you know so I'm not saying to any of those things but for me it was just like I I, I'm someone that's been cultured by growing up abroad in some ways but I'm also like had a very um tight or closed-minded upbringing and so Mm -hmm hadn't even seen people in business or in the church doing business like at a high level. That was also something we didn't see. It's like, you know, you didn't just didn't see, I didn't see that much
0: business. Um, I think honestly, a lot of us are very self-sabotaging. Yeah. Like I think because of that inward like conviction of, I'm not sure I should be making this much money. I think sometimes we can put a ceiling on ourselves and say, you know what, this is good enough. We're good here. And, um, you know, to each their own, you know, but I think they're, deal with the hard issues there. And so that's what I had to do at least. Um, yeah.
1: Worried that the money might cor- make me worse than I <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, you know, like, so I don't you know. know what's going to happen when I get it. Uh, okay. But, so I just wanted to, re- I just wanted to relate to that. I don't get to meet very many people that go through that. So you're, you're at a staffing company and I know, depending on what industry you're in uh, you can do very well, especially if you mm-hmm. build a team of a hundred plus, let's be honest. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So it's, it's kind of a tiered thing that grows from there. And um. So you got poached to mm-hmm. a company in Tennessee. Yep. Yeah. What so were you doing there?
0: It was a local company. We were doing risk management consulting and commercial insurance for high-risk manufacturing companies. Super okay. niche. Um, so we'd come in to these super high-risk manufacturing companies who had massive insurance premiums because they're super high-risk, right? You have a lot of workers' comp issues. So we'd come in and... And, uh, we do risk management consulting to help them eliminate some of the risk, which therefore drops their premium costs and and things like that for their insurance. Real sexy. Um, but nonetheless, I got posted to kind of head up sales there and build it from scratch. They're at about uh, probably about a million dollars in top line revenue when I got there. Um, I was there for about 18 months, had some success by success. I mean, we went from 1 million to nine and a half. And yep. in 18 months, and then uh, ended up getting poached again to be a VP of sales of an agency. And that's what thrusted me into the agency world about, I guess, nine years, 10 years, 10 years ago now. So you went from relationship building and what people don't
1: understand is like campus ministers or whether you're going to the Congo or a campus or Hawaii, That doesn't like you're going and creating something out of nothing. And you're selling them probably the hardest thing to sell
0: and nothing. they can hold,
1: <laughs> Give up all your freedom for a better eternal life that you might have. Uh, and you know, like it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to sell. Um, then you went to like it staffing, which if you're in the right industry, it's kind of easy to sell because everybody needs it. I don't know what you're in, but it's like, if you were selling e commerce talent right now, it'd be insane. You know, um, to again, selling something probably pretty hard. Uh, everyone needs insurance, but no one wants to pay for it. And no one trusts insurance salesmen. At least I don't, uh, for the most part, it's like, uh, not that I don't need what you have, but like, are you well, listening to me? Most don't do a
0: whole lot. It's kind of like a real estate agent. Like we don't, you don't really do that much. You fill out some paperwork and you know, you send it to the carrier and they get it done for you. It's like, yeah,
1: you're connecting me. Um, and then from there you went to an agency world, which yep. like I, um, I've created an agency like, you know, I, I obsess about agency world. I, I study it now. I read books, all that kind of stuff, but I don't come from an agency background. Yeah. Um, I went more into like as an e-commerce manager and learned a lot of my experience inside of brands that way in corporate, um, completely different thing, fast paced. Um, you can only sell as much as the team can produce, uh, in yep. some ways, like let's talk about well, advertising is a little different. Why don't you tell it in your own words? Like, so you become a VP of advertising there based on your sales experience. So what do they have you doing?
0: Yeah, I was actually the VP of Sales okay. at, at an agency. So there was a HubSpot agency. It was right when HubSpot hit the scene. Um, so it was like one. It was right when they rolled out their HubSpot partnership. So I was um, a VP of Sales, VP of Sales of a HubSpot agency that focused on medical practices, which also not super fun. What's a HubSpot um,
1: agency? Does that mean they come into like let's say a company and then get them all set up on a CRM? And yeah, like
0: no, it's it's more like uh, inbound marketing. So content marketing, uh, yes, some advertising, but mostly it's all about inbound marketing how do we generate inbound leads for businesses and the marketing automation platform of choice was a hubspot platform so we we put them on hubspot where they would run their marketing automation and then we would just run the automation for them or the 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 content marketing and marketing automation for them okay so that was our stick um kind of same thing i came in they were really small you know and and i had a lot of promises at the time of you know equity partnership on the future and all those kind of things that um you know, I felt like I was making this guy a lot of money. I felt like I was making the previous owner, of my the previous company, a lot of money, and I was like, "I'm out." There's some other things that happened there, but I, you know, I was out at at a certain point.
1: Okay, so out of out of the HubSpot agency and mm-hmm. on. So what happened after that?
0: That's when I finally started my own thing. So that was okay. my journey to starting something. What's ironic? People don't know this, uh, or not many people know this. Uh, I started a. A funnel building agency. <laughs> so, because here's my thought process. I'm incredible at sales. I know how to build sales teams. I just sold, you know, six million dollars worth of agency services to, you know, for this agency. This should be a piece of cake. And, and little did I know, I love selling it. I love building sales operations. I really hate delivering mm. the marketing side of things. I'm not a marketer, right? I'm a sales guy. And so I come out the gate and I'm landing these really, you know, decent-sized accounts. And then I'm like, oh shit, I got to yep, like, deliver, Delivered. <laughs> so retention wasn't great. Um, and pretty quickly I realized, cause I what was cool about that though. And all this kind of worked perfectly was I got around a bunch of other agency owners, right? I kind of found a community of other agency owners and, um, I was very different. Like kind of like you, I came to the space very different, didn't have an agency background, didn't have a, even a marketer background, but here I am now, I'm an agency owner and I'm selling massive deals while these people are struggling to sell. Hmm. and they love delivering they love marketing that's why they got into it they didn't get into it to sell whereas i got into it to sell not to deliver and so i was like oh well, shit i maybe there's something here so i tapped a few of my buddies in the shoulder and i was like hey like let me build out some sort of let me just help you with sales let me get some leads for you and so that's what turned into my last company which we exited back in uh, end of 2018 um but that was a company called tribe and tribe was essentially an outsourced sales lead generation company. We would do outbound sales for agencies. Yep. I know that uh, well. That model. Yeah. That's you're getting hit up by them all day, every day nowadays. Um, but at the time we were really early to that space. And so there was kind of a, a, a blue ocean for us. And uh, I think I got out and exited at the right time, uh, thankfully and, and built what I built now. But yeah, that was the, it was an interesting, I, I started an agency for very short and I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I don't, I don't like marketing. And then uh decided I'm gonna help agencies. And since then I've I've been doing it for now six years, give or
1: take. I love that. I, I know a couple individual guys um, that have companies that are like brokers basically mm-hmm. and they, they introduce brands to, you know, three agencies and those agencies compete for them and um, trying to give them like that kind of white glove service yeah, of, that's cool of working that out and it's worked very well for them. Because um, you're just leveraging the relationships you already have to bring the best to the table, you know, and saving people that time, kind of like an IT staffer, but not, you know, right. Or, yeah. or, um, So definitely understand that space. And then also, like what I was bringing up kind of at the beginning of the show is that deliverable piece. Right. So, yeah. you know, in uh, I, I also am a co-owner in a property management business and property investment business here in Kansas City. Cool. Um, for me, it made a lot of sense. One, I had best friend that was leaving the military after seven years as a captain military intelligence to like go start doing investing in real estate. And I'm like, I went in like, if he's involved, I went in because, totally. it, you know, just the ability to break down a market and the numbers and everything was like, uh, he's just an amazing human. I was like, I went in. The other thing was like on the Airbnb side of what we do with property management. Um, there was so much like, that's the same as e-commerce. So photography, yeah. Building listings online, automation, systems, chat, process, chat. Yeah, like I got it's like
0: nine. I'm about to have seven, but I had nine or I have nine Airbnbs currently. Okay. In the Tennessee area? Yeah, all in Knoxville.
1: Cool. I love that. Well, we'll have to talk about that a little offline. For sure. The cash, uh, but cash. Like, yeah, but for me, it was like, look, his team is one of the best in not just the city, maybe the Midwest, the sales team that he's built over the last three years, and I benefit from that as you know, um, but they have their own thing on the sales side. And so I've been here for the last three years watching my best friend and partner build a very good sales team. Um, And, you know, just we we build each other's businesses, talking to each other and things like that. And, you know, as a straight sales guy, they just think about always be closing, you know, closers close and shooters shoot and, you know, close the deal as an agency owner whose job now is to serve my team. Yeah. Okay. And set them up for success. And, um, there's a sales side of me that's hungry. That's like ruthless. That's like, I can go get whatever I want and eat. Um, but I also know that if I over inundate or, uh, overwhelm the, the deliverable side of the team that I will crash and burn and my reputation's burnt, trust is burnt, like, you know, all those things. So it's, it's definitely a give and take that, um, I've had to navigate as someone in between versus just being a go, go kill, go kill all you can eat kind of kind of Mm -hmm. team. Um, And that's a unique position um, that, you know, I have to tell a sales guy now that's working for me or Brian or like, you know, because I've seen him have an amazing contractor or to like do amazing projects on these houses. They're flipping everything. you give him three projects and that guy crashes and burns. He has two and he's amazing. You oh, yeah. know? And you're like, well, I have these deals. I can make all this money if I just push. And he says he can do it. And yeah, because everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants that opportunity. But you can overwhelm the deliverable side. And smart 100%. move, smart move on your end to um, move to tribe. I think that's it was called tribe, right? Uh, it was, yeah. Okay, so to move to the tribe model, which was outsource sales and just focus on your strength, what you guys do best. Mm-hmm um where'd you end up after tribe so going from all outsourced sales to now the sales driven agency um what are we looking at
0: yeah so after we um we exited that the i had some time to kill and some money in my pocket so it's kind of chilled for a little bit And i was like i want to get back in the game i'm just not sure exactly what i want to do but the biggest pain point of running tribe was if i send leads to a to a black hole i'm sending leads to a black hole and they disappear and so what i mean by that is is oftentimes agencies just don't have their shit together when it comes to having a sales infrastructure or a sales operation or yep. you know maybe they're decent at sales but it's the founder who's stuck selling like in your case like you're you're incredible at sales because you know the product you know the market you come with authority and trust but if you put a salesperson in your position you're probably going to take a hit to your conversion and so you're sending leads into this broken system and, and it's frustrating because I can't control that. Right. Yep. When I was running tribe, it was like, I'm going to send leads to this business and I have no control over what happens when I, when I make that handoff.
1: And if you don't close, eventually they'll stop keeping you on retainer because you've overwhelmed man. them. Yeah.
0: And it's, what have you done for me lately? And it's, you know, it's, the, it's a typical agency thing. If you're do anything from a lead gen perspective or agents as an agency, like, you know, the pain point of your clients saying, what have you done for me lately? Or, you know, their, their CRO sucks on their website, but you're driving amazing traffic to them. It's like, well, I can't control your CRO until you give me the CRO business. And so like, same thing here is just different side of the coin is sales instead of, you know, marketing. So that was a big pain point that I recognized when I ran tribe. It was one of the frustration, frustrating reasons why I ended up hating running it and just decided I'm done with this. And someone gave me enough to, to walk away. And I was like, cool. So that then said, I'm going to get back in the game. But if I'm going to get back in the game, I want to solve the whole problem. Mm. And that's when I said, I'm going to build sales driven agency. And, uh, what I actually did before I even started the offer, I think people should do this before they roll out new offers is, uh, I paid my ideal customers, uh, for 10 minutes of their time. I said, Hey, I'm going to pay you. I want 10 minutes of your time. I have nothing to sell you right now, but I would like to have something to sell you in the future. That's why I'm reaching out. At the end of the day, I know I can solve a problem for this space. I've been in this space for a long time, but I don't know how to, how to put together the offer that's going to fit this space. And, and, and maybe I'm making a lot of assumptions that I'd like you to shoot holes in it. So I'd like to have 10 minutes of your time. I'm going to pepper you with questions. I want you to shoot holes through everything that I do and you have permission to tell me and shit on my idea if, if it isn't good. And so I did that about 15 times and I, that's what created the bulletproof offer that I have today at sales driven agency, you know, years later, same offer. And uh, that's that we come in, we build the whole sales operation, right? So we, from, from beginning to end, all the sales processes, we architect all the processes and frameworks and systems. We actually have a recruiting team in-house. So we hire your salespeople. We train them for you. They're your people. We just do all the hard work of getting them there, onboarding them, training them. And then we build out the tech stack and enablement scripts, templates, campaigns. Um, We tie that all together in a bow and it's yours and we teach you how to drive it. So um, that's kind of our model. And that's when I said, I'm gonna get back in the cockpit because now I can control the success. I can control lead gen. I can control follow-up. I can control closing. I can control account handoff. Um, cause I built it right. I yep. built it for 300 plus agencies now. And so it's, just, it's, it's automatic. It's easier. Um, but it's a massive pain point. And so.
1: I love that. I love that tip on, um those informational interviews or even you know paying them maybe that's getting them to a dinner maybe that's Mm -hmm. like doing whatever you do to get to get in front of them um i learned that the hard way which is probably a thousand rejections uh (laughs) but that's why i think we're one of the best in the space is that i know the problems that these brands and manufacturers at a high level are having in e commerce or amazon before they do i'm i'm talking to their problems Mm -hmm. that they had in the meeting before we got on the call you Know, yep. um, and knowing that, like, you know, knowing your competition, knowing your competitor, knowing um, the your client and everything that they need, um, that's why I've gone full service with my agency, which is very hard, uh, right. to, to deliver on every level, but that's why I'm also so confident about my team right. and what we do is because I solve for all those things, I was tired of having. Clients or brands go out and get bad photography that doesn't work for Amazon. Or um, you know, I launched my own warehouse in 2020 for my brands that I'm building because I was. You know, I've talked with 300 plus 3PLs in the last 10 years. They all operate differently. Some of them are slow as the Titanic in regards to moving. And I'm operating in e-commerce. I can't have a slow. I'm only as good as my weakest link, right. you know, our supply chain. And um, so everything you're saying really hits home. And being able to say, hey, I'm a full-service agency, which is basically like a fractional employee to a company oh, yeah. uh, or a fractional, fractional team.
0: department. A <laughs> fractional <cases>. department, exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, because no one's just getting one person over here. It's not like one person is an Amazon expert. Mm-hmm. It's that we've got all these teams from creative to advertising to um, whatever and handing them over that playbook um, to say, Hey, we've created an Amazon store for you, or we, we've got your business optimized and running and and here's how we go. Um, and this is, you know, we keep doing that for them. Uh, but it's also like, instead of them just outsourcing it to us, we are now part of their team. Um, so, you know, if they take that back over, they have systems and process and that's, that's kind of our play. Yeah. So, um, very relative and genius and continuing to innovate, um, to where you can control. I think that's a big, 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 big part of it. Uh, and the same reason I'm building my own brands is I'm tired of losing uh, for things that aren't outside that are outside of my control. You 100%. know, and as many of those things as you can get, um, you will. So, what does that look like? But um, actually, before we go into my next question, why don't we give a shout out to to our sponsor for today's episode, which made it. this all possible. You, you're in. You use GUSO as well, right?
0: Oh yeah, I have, yeah, uh, for six years now.
1: Me too. It was something that took me a little bit to get to. I I am someone that when something's working, I'm not trying to break it, and uh, you know, was doing doing stuff through a localized like CPA bookkeeping firm that had taken care of me. But I wanted yep. to be able to pay people internationally. I wanted to be able to be in Tennessee and send payroll and not have to do those kinds of things. And yep. compliance. Um, yeah, trying to stay lean uh in a lot of areas is is um something not easy. Being in the cloud, but if we're not there, then we're getting left behind. So one, once again, shout out to our sponsor, Gusto. Um, question from them. Are you tired of long hours because of payroll? Save more time with Gusto. With its automated process, you can file taxes and manage payroll in a matter of minutes. What are you waiting for? Register at Gusto.com backslash Startup Hustle to get a free three-month subscription now. That's Gusto.com backslash Startup Hustle. Um, Joey, back back to the question I had for you here. Um you've you used the same playbook since like you launched the company in regards to like what, what you're offering, your bulletproof mm-hmm. offering. Um, you're going into companies, you're, you're going to the company you want and saying, Hey, let me help you build out your sales team. Um, how do you find, how do you know what companies are using? Maybe like, let's say a founder like me plus one or something like that. The ones that you know need a more sophisticated, yeah. um, a new, a more sophisticated process. Like what's your methodology for, for finding those companies?
0: Well, the good thing is, is there's probably 2% of agencies that I feel like have a, a really, really good sales operation that doesn't involve the founder, maybe even less than that. So my, uh, the world is my oyster kind of thing. I can probably throw a rock and, and hit an agency that's, okay. that needs our help. So that's one thing, but I would say outside of that, for me, um, by the nature of how we price, like I can only work with seven and eight figure agencies um, today. Now we're about to roll out a six figure. and I'm about to do the same thing where I interview people and pay them for their time as we roll an offer for the smaller, you know, the much larger market, but the much smaller agency. Yeah. Um, but for now, I only work with seven and eight figures. So I know typical agency operates at about $100,000 per full-time employee, rough estimate for revenue. So if they have 25 employees. They're likely doing between 2.2 2 and 3 million. 2.5 would be a safe guess. So I know one that can afford us. Two, I LinkedIn slash Apollo.io or other data resources tell me do they have sales titles in internally. Um, Is their sales title just like a sales leader title or a VP of sales? Because if so, they don't actually have sales people. They just have like a some guy who kind of does the pitches and proposals, but he's not going out and drumming up new business. He's not doing follow up and nurturing and closing. and I would say most agencies don't have that. And so yep. for me, that's what I'm looking for is employee count because no one's going to tell me their revenue. But because I know the space well enough, I know your your revenue within a million or so, I can guess. Um, and then do they have sales titles? And if that's the case, um, if they have less than two sales titles, I know I can come in and, and blow it up pretty quickly. I love that. Um, I have a question for you because yep. I'm
1: just I'm getting you here and I'm going to interview you to help myself. Do it. And, ho- and hopefully it helps some some of the listeners, too. So one thing that's been, you know, I've got a guy working on commission only. Mm-hmm. Um what we sell, there's so many people that need us too. It's like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel kind of thing. Right. Um it's more it's less about finding them and we have a great inbound funnel that I've just built through years of content and trust and reputation and and uh, biz dev and things like that. Great. Um but outbound is something we're building and we've had some success testing other stuff. Um right. One thing, I guess, what's what's on my mind is like a big role of me still saying in the sales, whether that's at the end of the funnel or not, is that most sales guys or men or women, whoever, don't necessarily are not thinking of the team first, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to get paid. They're trying to yeah. get paid. They're trying to go get new business. They don't care. That's they break their role. Delivery team, correct. And so for me, that's a huge concern as like us getting results and quality of the team and not wanting to lose employees, which is a huge thing right now in our space. Um, if there's not me as the gatekeeper to, you know, it could be getting a narcissistic brand owner. It could be talking to a misogynistic, uh, you know, manufacturer owner or VP of marketing. Um, it could be a team that's not digital first. And that's so archaic that it will slow my entire team down. It could be, um, you know, a team not willing, like they, maybe they built the brand themselves and they think they know everything. Mm -hmm. They know they need help, but they're not going to listen. You know, there's all these different kinds of clients outside of just landing them that takes someone with, um, not genius. What's the word I'm looking for? Almost like emotional intelligence to know those people when you're in the early phases, like you're in the early phases of that. And for me, every single brand that slips through that is one of those things is a huge negative on the pain in the ass for your team. Yes, exactly. And so for me, it's been more of like, I can get someone to follow my template and be able to close and keep close rate high and things like that. But, um, Getting that built into the culture of my sales team is something very concerning for me. Like, I would mm-hmm. love to just get your feedback on that, totally. or like yeah. tips or ways that you combat that.
0: I'm gonna give you two two different answers. Um, one is is I think it does come down to what you just mentioned, culture for the sales team. I think that one thing that I have always taught, and one thing that I do internally in my team, I have a pretty decent sized team myself. And for me, because we're the same way, I can get some terrible clients if I if I allow it. Yeah. When it comes to bringing on and onboarding a salesperson, right? Like it's easy to hire a salesperson. It's easy to fire a salesperson. It's not easy to make them successful. It's not easy to onboard them, not easy to train them, not easy to manage, lead and coach them. Um, And so that's why I think it's important. What we do is important, right? We come in and build those frameworks out to make sure that's successful. But part of that is product market training, right? And, And part of product market training that you assemble for your salespeople Is What offers do we have? What's our product? What's the things that we do for people? But it's also market training. Who is our ideal customer profile? What does that actually look like? What are call recordings that show ideal customers? What are not ideal customer profiles? What are call recordings that show those, right? So you have examples of both, right? Sometimes it's the positive and the negative you got to show. Yeah um and then the third is is decision maker profile. So there's there's the ideal client, which is the company itself. Like yeah, we want to work with some dope fashion brand. You know, that's doing 50 million in sales currently, right? Okay, that's easy to spot. But what if the founder, like you said, is a total ass or I don't want to work with them. I'm allowed to cuss, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Say cool. whatever you want.
0: Sorry. It's um, even more allowed if you're ex-religious, so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so so the um so that's the company, but then you have the decision maker of like, who, who am I going to be interacting with? Who's my team going to be interfacing with? So that's the product market training. You also have to do like mindset training. Like one of the first things that I do is foundations training for salespeople. What I build for clients is foundation sales training. And that's all about like, what's the sales mindset, right? Like the people around you are dependent on you. They're dependent on you financially, right? Because the revenue you generate eventually goes to pay the bills for those families yeah. that are on your team and they don't control revenue. So that's on your shoulders. You should feel a healthy weight there. The second is, is, is training them on simultaneously. You also, you also are the gatekeeper to their emotional bank account. Right. Yep. And so there's that. Well, if they're on a commission only or a high bonus structure type of model, right. Which I'm a high, I'm a big proponent of base plus commission, having a really healthy commission model. Um, then they're a hunt they they eat what they kill. Well, that you know th- there's a there's a conflict of interest there, so what do I do? I incentivize you to walk away from deals with money. Okay. So, I'm not going to pay you the same as if you closed the deal, but you don't have to do the hard work of closing it if if it's a deal that we could close and it gets to a certain stage in our pipeline and you identify that it would be cancerous to our team, it would not serve our team and you walk away from it and you send me the recording said hey Joey um i walked away from this deal could have closed it here's the recording uh, i just didn't feel good about it for the team's sake dude i'm striking you a check i don't care thank how you how does that can
1: i ask like you don't have to give me your numbers but theoretically how does that work what what like let's say you got salary plus commission to close a deal what's it look like to not close a deal i get
0: deal? 25% of what i would have okay So, um, average deal, my salesperson is going to make about four grand in commission. So I usually give them about a grand. Okay. Um, and that's how, I mean, that's fair for them because realistically it's easier. They don't have the contracts, don't have the chase down proposal payments, like just stop clean. And if I agree with them, you know, then I'm happy to pay you because you preserve me a lot more money I'm going to lose by losing an employee. You have to find a replacement, train them, et cetera. I think that's genius. Yeah. And I don't think people want to do that because people like, oh, it's performance, performance. Like that is performance. It's just not the performance you want from a revenue perspective. It's a performance you want from a retention and profitability perspective. We all think about it. So that's number one answer I'd give you. Well, that was, that was gold. So thank you. Good, number one. Good, good. The second that I would give you is at the end of the day, if sales is doing their job, meaning they are going out and they're hunting and they're killing, you know, then there is going to be that tension in a, in a, in a people business, like an agency where you might stress out the delivery team. Now I would argue I'd rather have more revenue to go fix the delivery problems than have no delivery problems, but no revenue, you know? So that's, that's one mindset I have to always remind myself, be quick to invest in solving the problems. Um, but what I tell people, cause this does happen is if, if you feel as though you need to tell your sales team to slow down, um momentum is one of the hardest forces mm. or or whatever i think it's called a vector technically because i get correct all the time but i think i like saying it's the strongest force in all of creation is momentum it's hard to create it's also hard to stop
1: in dating in business in and it is it's huge fitness
0: like yeah it's huge and so you don't want to stop momentum so how do you do that and take care of your delivery team well i, I think of growth in three categories pipeline Where are our leads coming in? How many leads are we we getting? Inbound, outbound, referral. Win rate. How many of those leads are we winning into paying customers? Client value. What is a client worth to us? And all three of those, if you pull on all three of those levers, you can have that hockey stick growth. Well, in some seasons, it doesn't make sense to pull on all three of them. So what I would do is I would say, hey, don't stop. Don't slow pipeline down. Don't slow win rate down. I'm going to organically slow win rate down by saying, Hey, you can no longer offer any of our, our packages less than, let's just say your average deal is 7,500 bucks a month. You can't charge any less than 10 grand moving forward. You can't charge any less than 12 grand a month moving forward. Because What that's going to do is it's going to lower your win rate, but it's going to keep revenue high. Right? So you, I always give the analogy, so I'm probably talking too much, but it's helpful for someone out there. Um, I get the, uh, there's a story I, I like to tell of, uh, there's an entrepreneur who goes and gets his hair cut from this barber. He's been doing it for 20 years, ever since he was a kid. And, um, he's sitting there and he's, you know, the barber's name's Jack. This seems like a barber's name, right? And Jack's cutting his hair and the entrepreneur's just sitting there and he's doing it like normal, great haircut. And he can just tell Jack's off. And so he, he looks at Jack and he's like, Hey man, you just seem off today. What's going on? He goes, and he just opens up he, like the floodgates. He says, man, I'm stressed out. You know, I'm back to back to back haircuts. I'm running late on this one, which makes you late on the next one. People get mad at me, you know, and I got to pay bills and rent's going up. And the entrepreneur goes, that's an easy fix. Double your price. I've been coming here for 20 years. You've been charging me $10 a haircut for 20 years straight. And, and, the, and Jack looks at him and he goes, I can't. I'm not going to go from 10 to 20. I'll lose half my customers. And he goes, do the math. Because <laughs> you double your pricing, lose half your customers. You do the same amount of revenue, but you now you have twice as much free time in your calendar. He goes, and I guarantee you're not going to lose half. So that's the way I look at sales too. Is okay. Let's say your win rate's twenty percent. Well, what if you double your pricing and you drop to fifteen percent? You're still net positive, and you're taking on less deals and not stressing out your team.
1: I can one hundred percent echo that statement. Like with even, I'll use the Airbnb model. Um, you know, during the pandemic, we made all kinds of pivots to keep our cleaners in business, to keep investors paid, to to make it work right with, with staycations and, uh, booking first responders and, uh, people that need to quarantine and all kinds of stuff, just keeping it rolling. Um, and when you've got 22, you've got a few people under you that rely on that work, right? Whether it's the property manager whether it's the cleaners, whatever, um, and so, you know, priority one was it was lowering rates, um, you know, because the cleaners are getting paid regardless if there's a clean, which mm-hmm. was like priority one was we don't want to lose our people. Yeah, it's hard. And see and see what happens, you know. Um, and so, but what happened was our quality of guests really went down. Um, our properties didn't change. Yep. But instead, you start getting staycation. You get people that aren't wanting to trash their own house. You get Parties. people coming to KC to to like, you know, go to a conference or chiefs game or whatever you get some clowns you know and um so it's been a a progression coming back after 2020 and like we didn't lose money uh any month in 2020 and i'm proud of that for our investors or for us or whatever Um, but we had to pivot to make it happen well it's been coming out of that where um, one was getting a property where we were able to charge, I think, like two fifty a night on a weekday. Okay. So a higher end property that's really nice in a good area of town that um I was able to do like when, when we were decorating it out because of the investor that we had, wanted to do all the bells and whistles and let me design how I wanted. So I went more high end and we saw that we just started booking it out. Uh it's been booked out, it's booked out all the time. Well, the thought process being, okay, let's stop doing these individual rooms like we had in one property. Let's like bring it to a full house, raise that price, and just raising the prices across the board. And mm-hmm. so we started going from uh, our booking rate dropped, right? But um, the amount we were making per clean, we started being able to pay the cleaners more to be there longer to, to do a better job. Nice. Um, we started, you know, making more money because maybe the house is sitting empty and there's electric costs and gas costs, and during the weekdays instead of just booking those out. Um and have been making more money than ever before by raising our prices across the board. The difference was like the difference in strategy, even from eighteen months. It needed to change. Um, it's it's easy when you've done it before to kind of see that, but when you're like you're going from a eighty five dollar a night price point to maybe one forty or one fifty, you know, to get a kind of different customer, it's you got to take a leap of faith, and investors might not believe in what you're doing, and you know, they're like, why are these days saying unbooked and, um. One is either like do it yourself so you don't have to respond to investors uh, so you can do whatever you want, right? That's one thing. Control it. And the other is, um, you know, proving the model and, and showing them that too. But um, that was a little bit of a, a longer story. But my point being like can definitely attest to that. And it gets, you know, as a, it can get scary to just like raise your prices. You got relationships with people. You don't know how they're going to respond. You convince them one time that your value is at that. Like, are they going to believe that your value is double that? Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on mentally, um, but huge, huge and great advice. Thank you. I'm, I'm definitely, um, especially number one, I think that's incentivizing to not close is something I'm going to take away from this and and try to put into action. Um, as we get close to the end of the show, we're coming up on 45. I would love for you to just like, um, you know, we're going to have all your, all your contact information in the show notes for anyone that's listening. So we don't got to touch base on that, but with our last five minutes or so, Um, what's something as a person that's built multiple teams, teams of a hundred plus still building teams for other people. Mm. Um, what's something you want to leave freestyle, uh, with any of our listeners today? This is a show by founders for founders. So a lot of our listeners are running some kind of team of their own.
0: Yep. What's something you'd leave with them? Don't skimp on talent. Um, overpay for talent. I think that that might be an obvious for some, it might not be for others. And I think for me, you know, one one of the frustrations I had when I was running Tribe was I think that for the longest time I tried to fill seats with bodies because I could find the best deal for a person, and since then I have realized the headache that comes with that versus paying a little bit extra now and taking a small hit. You know, like uh, my highest paid employee is going to make four twenty five this year, uh, and he's not in sales. Believe it or not. Wow. And so. And I'm happy to strike that check because he oversees our entire delivery team. I don't have to manage him. I don't even have to talk to him. I want to. I enjoy him, um, but I don't have to. And and I am I am more than happy for him to make build wealth through my company. One, because he's never going to leave me. He's not going to make that money elsewhere. Two, because I trust him, and he feels as though he really owns something, and so he has no need to leave elsewhere. He's making more than most entrepreneurs. Probably listening to this. No offense to, to you guys listening. Um, and so for him, I know I'm going to have the best talent. I'm gonna. He's never going to leave me. He's loyal to me. You know, and and that's that's something I would say is is a worthwhile investment for me. And and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, see your people as an investment, not as overhead. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's, they are. They're investments. That's amazing. So I think when you think about like an, a real estate investment portfolio, you want to add the best properties that are going to add the most value to your portfolio. Like your company is a portfolio and the people that you install in your company are those assets. And so yes. uh, you want to take care of them. You want to set aside OPEX like you would in real estate operating expenditures, things that come up, right? You want to set those aside to take care of your your assets, your people. And so um, at a certain level, I think at the very beginning, it's about your offer, right? It's about nailing the offer. It's about you know product market fit. Um, but at a certain level, when you figure that out and you figure out how to somewhat grow relatively systematically, it becomes about the people.
1: Yep, that's and, where I'm at, and that that's 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 definitely where I'm at. Which is like, look, my full time job now, whether it's sales, whether it's whatever, is like. And that's not even coming from the religious background. It's just like I think that's just a principle of leadership. That's yeah. I got my job is to protect and serve my people to get the best results. Yes. Um, whatever that takes, and I know that I personally, as an agency, am, am an agency that probably overpays on labor. Like if someone was to evaluate my books, and um, but I'm nothing without my people, so. You know, investing in them for sometimes, for some of them, it's career jumps. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, e-commerce, like they're doing GMing of a restaurant or whatever the case might be and moving over. And so giving them that stability and investing in them until they get up to speed. Um, But yes, I'm one of those agrees with.
0: Dude, it's, it's, I'm a big fan of value-based pricing, right? I want to price what my clients pay us. I want to price it according to the value that I bring to that company. I think it's reasonable that if I can drive a million dollars in revenue for you that I should charge a hundred thousand dollars. That seems like if you put a dollar into the slot machine, and you got 10 out, it'd probably be a pretty decent gamble. Right? Yeah. And so if that's what I believe we can do, right? Same thing. If I can, if I can drive 10 million, then I'm probably going to charge you 500 grand, you know, yep. more than likely if, if I can, if I can actually attribute what we do to to do that. Now, What's interesting is, is if we do that with our clients, why don't we do with our employees? It's about the value they bring to the company. And what's ironic is that we don't think about this. We drive more value for clients and therefore can charge more when we have more valuable employees who can help us drive more value for clients. Hmm. And so why not pay them more? Because they're helping you charge more.
1: I love it. That's the way I I look at it. I think one other thing here that we can say to the founders, maybe that aren't in the position to pay an employee 425 Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, at the beginning, I was using interns from the high school program. I was using UMKC graduates or or college internships. I was my sisters were my workhorses because they believed in what I was doing. And, um, you know, so we you do whatever you have to do to get by. And for me, that was young on inexpensive talent at the beginning uh i didn't want to go i didn't want to go outsource because i i believe what we were doing needed collaboration and i needed like people butts and seats to listen and watch and learn versus like process sent overseas um but i think what got me here is not what gets me there kind of thinking Mm -hmm. and there was a there was a turning point where okay girls now even if it's going and getting someone that makes more than me and me and the girls. It was like we need some talent, yep. um, and so trustworthy talent too. But it was like, look, if we want to get some people that are at a managerial level to be able to like do this in the corporate world or whatever the case might be, mm. um, we're gonna have to pay. You get what you pay for. Um, and it was like, I, it was definitely that what got us here is now what gets us there. Yeah, it's and, top and, filling. That's what we call yeah. it.
0: You got to top fill your talent, and and like you said, what got you here you got to top fill with better soil on top. And sometimes that, you know, that's not a slight on who got you here. You know, there's a, there's an aspect of loyalty here, but we're also in a world where it's meritocracy and, and we got to pay bills. And so if we feel as though the people who got us here can't get us there and there isn't a role for them, I think that unfortunately we have to promote them to someone else's company. As I like (laughs) to say, (laughs) yeah,
1: there is no, there is no one that's left Marknology that didn't leave with, um, you know, four zeros, five zeros, more like five zeros plus, um, Mm. you know, growth. And so, um, you know, feel bad about that if you want. Right. But it's also like, hey, being here and whether we promote you to another company or you move on yourself, you're
0: part of their journey, you know, exactly. And you can see that. And
1: so, you know, I tell our our team um, at the end of the day, when you leave here, if you choose to leave or whatever the case might be, a reflection of us, um and you can have them leaving and saying he was a tightwad or you can have them leaving saying he was super generous and um you know what do you want that to be they're an extension of your reputation and your trust regardless um i could hop on that for another hour but it's been <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure getting to chat it up and, yeah, and getting man. to hear more about your side of things versus mine um, i know i've left with a couple of nuggets um that i'm putting in my tool belt so i really appreciate that
0: well thanks for having me on man and thank you guys for listening
1: yeah, of course. And once again, shout out to our sponsor for today's episode, um, Gusto. Manage your HR needs with Gusto is the way to go. Make it easier to onboard talent, handle payroll, support your people in any way. That's what we we're talking about this whole show. Augusto's platform is powered by advanced technology, so talent management and payroll processing will never be the same. Try Gusto for free. Sign up at Gusto.com backslash startup hustle and enjoy a three-month free subscription. Uh, Joey, if I'm in Tennessee... I'm going to hit you up. Uh, it might be as early as in two weeks or something. I, I'm on, taking a road through. trip, try to find I'll a tree will take you to my
0: 70-acre ranch and we'll shoot stuff.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Um, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.